my one vote went to Laura McLaughlin. She could have walked off the set of Mad Men. It was an absolutely beautiful dress. You know what? Renovating my ass, really, Caro. That team from the start of the year, they have looked fit, strong, able. West Coast have looked fantastic all year. The ABC was trying to skew younger. They were going digital. I understand all of that. And I say this to football coaches and CEOs alike and anyone in any senior job. You can't be living in two cities. This is such a good book. And Nicole Kidman has actually bought the rights to it. I'm not sure whether Nicole's going to play one of the guests or, in fact, Masha. He got up on stage at the Brownlow. Jack Revolt presented him with the award and he said, my heart is beating at 100 minutes per second. (laughs) (laughs) Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 56 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. It's grand final week in Melbourne. It's grand final week in Sydney, in Brisbane, all over Australia, and particularly in Perth, too. Corrie Perkin, my dear friend and fellow podcaster. Caro, two words. No, actually, four. I can't add it up now. What What happened happened to Richmond? That's four, isn't it? You could insert (laughs) Melbourne there too. But no, I think Richmond was probably the biggest upset. I was reading um, last or the other day about the seven stages of grief. I've gone through bitterness, denial and devastation, a little bit of residual anger. Uh, Guilt is one of the – I don't feel any guilt about Richmond losing, although I do think that – I feel guilty that did I get ahead of myself? Did I plan things? To, no, I didn't. I was really worried about Collingwood. I knew after well, you we were played a bit too them. Cocky. Look, I was reminding friends of ours who were saying, "Oh, poor Caro, they must be devastated." I said, "Caro did say on the podcast about four weeks ago when I asked you what is Richmond, what is going to be Richmond's greatest challenge or threat, and you said Richmond, yes. and look what happened." Yeah, well, I think Collingwood was right up there too, Corrie. They were well, they well and truly thrashed Richmond. They deserved to win. After 15 minutes, everyone in the area where we were knew it was over. Um, over in another part of the ground sat my daughter Rose, my mum Julia, Anna from the op shop, her mum Sarah. Well, that would have been a happy That was bunch. a very silent and awful. And were you anywhere near Eddie Maguire, Collingwood president? Well, everybody was because after it became obvious they were going to win, he did the walk of fame around. He, instead of going down the stairs to the rooms as you normally do, he chose to go through the members. And one committee person did comment, he's not even a member. <laughs> But he walked around and he's yelling at everyone looking at him to look at the ground. He was going fairly hysterical. Um, look, you know, he, he has every right to be absolutely pumped. It was an unbelievable performance. Yes, he did strongly consider sacking the coach last year along with several other people, but he didn't. And there's so much, there's so much that's similar in the story of what Collingwood have done this year to what Richmond did last year, including the fact that they sort of played Richmond at their own game on Friday night and thoroughly beat them. I'm not going to go on about playing injured players, about the fact that Alex Rance had the worst game he's had. I'm not going to go on about it anymore, but it's amazing how many plans it changes. You know, my dear cousin Andy booked a flight a month ago because he just had to get the decent airfare from London. He's arriving on Friday Cara, what to if you were a Melbourne supporter and you'd, you'd bought one of those very expensive $2,000 tickets across the Nullarbor? I know. Only to, within five minutes, realise that it was a very bad career yes. move to be there. That was a, a dreadful, dreadful oh, that performance was just by Melbourne. Shocking. The only so thing, I, the only thing I would say though is that Melbourne were the underdogs and going over to WA and hadn't finished in the top four. Richmond had finished two games clear, and everybody kept saying they are so far ahead of everyone else. And I knew, I knew there was something. Anyway, 
It's all over now. Let's do a bit of housekeeping on Dealing our show. Dealing with disappointment. We, there's a lot of housekeeping. I reckon I've got so many apologies from last week. Well, why, while, you si- while you think about them, I just want to um, mention a couple of gorgeous comments. In fact, we had a heap of comments in, on the Carol and Corey Instagram account because I had the photo of you and Anna from the op shop at the 1980 grand final in your uh, really attractive yellow windsheeters. I thought they were rather sn- smart. And so they too, were white exacto windsheeters. So died. too were your dolly haircuts, actually, I thought. But lots of compliments from people, um, uh, including Joanna Weir, who said good luck tonight. So that was obviously before things started happening. Uh, Man Skeel said, I believe that was once called the dolly haircut. I had one too. Leonie JC said, great pick, channeling a little bit of Susie Quattro there, Caro. Chrissy Hind, please. (laughs) (laughs) In your dreams. And MS Rule says, wonder if the windsheeter is Golden Breed or Fiorucci, which takes me right back. Exacto, exacto. Come on, come on, girls. Anyway, that was a lot of fun to have that photo of you guys up there. There was some. There was also some good, um, good feedback for your date and chocolate tort from episode forty-eight. Um, the balsamic chicken she found a bit too sweet for her liking, but she loved Tangerine, the book I recommended a few years ago. Her mum's enjoying it too. That's Emily Woodsmith um, from Facebook, and Emily, thank you for uh, mentioning the date and chocolate tort. I only had a couple of comments from Potties, and really, it is just the best recipes. And I'm so I'm glad you loved it. Thanks for that. And Corrie, to everyone at the Brownlow who bowed me up, not about my rose pink dress or my pearls. All my new shoes from your favourite shop that um, used to be next to your bookshop. Not um, about Tom Mitchell or whether Dusty had a chance, but about Don't Shoot, The Messenger. People, a couple of girls almost bellowed across the room, Don't Shoot, The Messenger, as Brendan and I were leaving. And I was almost giving the royal wave. (laughs) Sign autographs. Star podcast. Are we famous? Oh, I'm so glad that there's a whole bunch of... uh, Brownlow people out there listening to us. And how was the Brownlow? Look, it was, you know, it was not a surprising result. Did you wear a new dress or did you, as you said last week, go back into the cupboard looking for something? No, look, I've got a couple of functions coming up, so I did buy a new dress. It's more... I had a feeling you might. It's more cocktail than black tie. I was nodding, I was nodding in the spirit of sisterhood, you know, where we're watching our bank balance. And I was nodding like this last week when you were saying I might get something out of the wardrobe. And as I was nodding, I was thinking, there's no bloody way she's going to get something out of the wardrobe. I've done that quite often. A couple of great bloopers. I love a Brownlow blooper. They retired Michael Riscatelli. You know when they do the homage to retired players? And there's Michael Riscatelli running around in a Brisbane and then a Gold Coast jumper. I'm thinking, gee, I'm, I'm, I've really lost my touch. I didn't even know he'd retired. Well, guess what? Neither That's did a... Michael. <laughs> he was the, um, was that the club's way of telling him? Without, without being um, – without being – too sort of much of a killjoy. When the favourite wins, you know, it's sort of like, I mean, I shouldn't say that because Dustin Martin, I was very happy about last year. Tom Mitchell made a fabulous speech. Did There's you a bit find of the, though, with, I was quite surprised at the lack of excitement on Tom Mitchell's face. And you know how always teammates around the table, there's always the kiss for the girlfriend or the mother, whoever the date is, and then all the boys from the team, you know, jump up and pat him on the back and shake his hand and all that. Alistair Clarkson got in there like there he tends to do. <laughs> Carol, so he should is the coach. Mm. But I just found it, I found Tom a bit underwhelmed. And I can only imagine that he was in shock or it was just totally expected, which we, you know, he was the bookie's favourite. Well done. Oh, look, he was the bookie's favourite. He he became my favourite because we had a sweep on our table and I, I got Tom But Mitchell. did you find him a bit underwhelmed? 
No, I think that. Or his response underwhelming. I think that's just him. I, what I love about the Brownlow is that they continue to just serve up different young men from all walks of life. And this is a man whose father was a great player who played for several clubs, who then became a coach and took Tom around Australia, really. And and I thought him talking about leaving his friendship group and going over to live in WA. Yeah, he's very articulate, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. Tells and, a good story. And what that was like and how that made made his footy better. Very single-minded. There's a touch of the Nathan Buckleys about Tom Mitchell. Nathan Buckley, for different reasons, travelled around the country um, with his father because of his job and played football, you know, in Darwin and in Adelaide and, you know, ended up going to the uh, Brisbane Bears as they were then. But, look, seeing Barry Mitchell, his father, you know, in tears with – Tom's girlfriend and Tom talking about how he used to eat Starbursts and what else did he eat? Western wagon wheels or mm. anyway, he had a, oh no, a packet of barbecue shapes before every game. I mean, I mean, people around the country get inspiration from all of that. Caro, on to more important things about the Brownlow. As you know, over the years, I've sat with my daughters and we've rated the dresses. Well, of course, the daughters aren't at home anymore so that we now have a WhatsApp group, which includes my future daughter-in-law, Lib, and we were assessing the Brownlow fashions last night. I don't know whether you got a good chance to see everybody. I've got my top three for you, Corrie. You were too busy signing autographs. And Caro from Don't Shoot No, I, I certainly was not. Brendan and I tried to avoid, as we always do, the red carpet, but they make you walk it now. So, so I, oh, gosh, that's I, rough, isn't it? And I did say to Patrick Dangerfield, Patrick, I don't know about the creamy white jacket. And he was looked a little bit offended. Luckily, his gorgeous wife was right next to him, and I was able to tell her that she looked absolutely that's gorgeous. That's a bit rude. You redeemed yourself. So my one vote would be to Tex Walker's um, partner, Ellie Brown, and the beautiful Corey, Silk Chiffon. Corrie, right back at your girlfriend. I gave her but two. Only, oh, well, I only gave her one vote. So who is your one vote? No, you, you do yours. Okay. And then second was um, North Melbourne Ben Brown's wife, Hester Brown, who is pregnant. She looked beautiful. And I thought that elegant, beautiful dress for a pregnant woman was so beautiful and broad. It looked like a natural grey toned. Um, well, isn't it right? She won't wear wool and he won't wear leather or yes, something? That's right, or yeah. he, yes, that's right. Or they, they are quite na- organic. But, um, I don't know how he copes in footy boots, but that's another story. I tell you what, for girls who are about to become pregnant or who are and who are wondering what's a really good look, a low, a low but not too low round neckline is very um, good for um body shapes that are changing. And I think um, having that see-through bottom, there was a lot of see-through bottoms of frocks last night, I noticed, so they'd have a slip to their knee or whatever, and then it was see-through. I thought that was lovely because her legs are in good shape. She looked really sexy. The little cap sleeves, I thought that was a great dress. But my three votes go to Joel Selwood's just recently announced fiance, yeah, Rick Davis, very, she looked very in that sparkling gold dress. Paolo Sebastian. Beautiful loose hair. And what I loved was the high neckline, Caro. How beautiful was that? And how sexy can a high neckline be when it's just very plain and simple like she that? Looked, that dress was eye-catching across the room. It was absolutely beautiful. Least outfit I liked. No offence to Logan Shine, who's Jason Jonathan's um, from the Bulldogs, his Johannesson. partner, or Johannesson. Um, I thought she looked a bit like, remember Bork years ago, the Icelandic singer? The or- when she turned up at the office. It's a swan. We, we, yeah, don't, we couldn't quite like work that. out how she was going to sit down. History well, maybe, doesn't relate. I wasn't maybe the feathers came off. Maybe they were detachable feathers. Look, I, I think you've, I like your top three. I gave one vote. Can I, a couple of special mentions. Kate Slattery. The daughter of our oh, great friend. Oh, yes, friends. I saw lovely Kate on the Instagram before they left. She look, she always looks fabulous, yeah. Jeff Slattery's daughter, who is going to be a guest on our podcast next week. So yes, indeed. That's a double – that's called 
killing off the flock with a rock, as Anna from the Op Shop would say, and she's also coming in because we can promote Jeff and say that his daughter looked beautiful. I thought Lockie Weller's girlfriend, Nicola Hewitt, looked beautiful. I re- it, there's a lot of black and metallic and all of that sort of stuff. There was a lot of shine. There were a lot of splits up the leg, which I'm not such a fan of. Yes, Caro. including uh, Brooke Cochin, who I liked, that mm, outfit, mm. Um, the red. Um, but of, of all the black, metallic, silvery sort of looks, I liked um, Brigitte Olsen, who's Lockie Whitfield from yes, GWS's that was very nice girlfriend. But my – oh, and I also really liked Jacinta Franklin. I mean, yes, very, um, very understated, but all loved quite her hair. space age, wasn't it? Yeah, and she yeah. had that made just last week because she decided it wasn't always going to come. It was all about um, Lance. It wasn't about her. I mean, she's just a beautiful, she beautiful looked great. Girl. My one vote went to Laura McLaughlin. Oh yeah, in that cream, didn't she yeah. wear cream? And it was white? it yeah. was very sixties. It was very. She could have walked off the set of Mad Men. It was an absolutely beautiful dress. It was a. She always looks a good creamy car. white sort of evening gown with sort of horizontal lines. She does. She looked beautiful. My two vote went to Ellie Brown, who I actually met earlier this year when um, I went to interview Tex that day on the eve of the. Round two Richmond Adelaide game at their gorgeous house, and she was sort of wandering around the house. She, oh, Tex made the coffee. He said, "Oh, she's got um, she's got meningococcal." I said, "Oh, I hope she's all right." He said, "Oh, it's just a sort of a slight strain." Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, she's clearly all right now, and she looked beautiful. She has, she got my two vote, and I know she's been photographed everywhere, and I know everyone's talked about her, but Jessie Murphy. That yes. pink dress. It was, was sweet, wasn't it? Um, I think it's Oglia Loro Couture. That was – and so anyway, she I got my three I love the way you do an accent. So I guess it's Italian. Well, I'm going to do it again do it because who the hell is Jaton, J-apostrophe-A-T-O-N? Because Rebecca Judd wore Jaton. her. I think um, – who else did? Your, your, I think your friend um, who's getting married to Joel Selwood, I think – she yes, was in Jaton Rich, as well. Rich Davis. And I and I and I also thought Jimmy Bartell, speaking of pregnant yeah, wives, I thought yeah. I thought Nadia looked And they did a too. really good job actually doing the interviews, I N- thought, for Channel 7. Nadia looked fab, but yeah, so Jesse Murphy got my three, Ellie Brown two, Laura McLaughlin one. For me, Corrie. There we go, Caro. Anyway You might you might receive a Jaton invitation next year to they'll they'd love to dress you. Well it is an Australian label, which is obviously great so to see them supporting if, if local we... designers. And I mentioned Corrie. Who did you miss most? I know who you're going to say, sitting up on the stage. Oh, Jill Lindsay Carroll. I love Jenny Luffman it's and she's never, fabulous. It's never it's, the same, is it? In one of her, she used to do a good fuchsia or a good, yes, you know, really a bright colour. And she always looks so earnest. So for so for potties who don't watch the Brownlow Medal, well, get with the program would be my first bit of advice. But just to fill you in, Jill Lindsay used to be head of ground operations and she sadly, tragically died of cancer way too early a few years ago. But she was always the only woman up there on the stage for years. And all the men were in their, you know, Dinner, dinner suits, suits and all looking a bit gruff and earnest and there'd be Jill as you say in the fuchsia or the bright red or something and and doing her job so well yeah I do miss her final mention too to Angus Brayshaw from Melbourne who came third who actually wasn't at the event and put up a bit of a smart aleck Instagram saying thanks AFL with a fake medal <laughs> round his neck at his house I, it was pointed out to me from someone from the AFL that, in fact, the Melbourne Football Club, the clubs are responsible apart from the captains and any Yeah, the clubs decide pra- who goes. Yep. So yeah. it goes to show, Corey, helmet. <laughs> helmet. And he, he did have a great year and I'm not he, – he totally deserved to come third. What's but- your theory on helmets, what you don't get noticed? You do get noticed. You do get noticed. Well, clearly he got noticed. Oh, he noticed. got noticed, but not by his own club. <laughs> 
Anyway, okay. he had a, he did fabulously well. So he's a on, lovely kid. So on we go to the GF. Um, who's your tip? Look, I, I still haven't really decided. I, I, I really, it's so difficult. Collingwood with the home ground, the momentum. Did but, you hear the story about, was it Kelly Underwood? The person who changed their tips went down to... Or, or no, it was it was a Daisy. Oh, I've got to get it. I think maybe it was he Daisy Pierce. Fabulous commentary. So somebody was down. Friday somebody night. was down in the rooms on with Richmond, ten or fifteen minutes before they were due to run on, and they also kicked back. Trick Cochin said she she had some problem with her, um, you know, the crossover, and she said, "Oh, hang on, Trick, we're just got to be a couple of minutes here. No problem, Daisy. So how are you going? You know, what are you doing? It was either Kelly or Daisy. I can't remember. And then the coach, uh, Damien Hardwick, was very relaxed. And this reporter went back to the press box and changed their vote. Richmond's not going to win. How's that? But they were relaxed before the grand final last year and Adelaide was stiff. Anyway, I thought quite perceptive. So I'm not sure who I'm giving that bouquet to. I have to check my story. I can't remember which lady it was. Daisy did pick two minutes 40 into the game and I overcalled from the main match callers because I went home and watched the whole replay. I mean, what sort of loser am I? But anyway, um, and she picked that Dustin Martin had taken himself to full forward and it was a bit of an omen. Speaking of omens, um, Jewel, my mother, rang in to say she's just been down Government House Drive. They've replanted that beautiful perennial border. Mum says it's in a dreadful colours and they're sort of gold and royal blue. Mm. Eagles omen. Mm. The Eagles lost a grand final to your club, Hawthorne, not so long ago, Corrie, and there are a lot of players in that team who knows what it's like, knows what, how it must feel to lose. And a lot of very good players in that team like Kennedy and Darling. Elliot Yo has come become a great player and not really one who can, can mention from that last grand final, but... How sad for Nick Natanui. They well, how sad. And what about Andrew Gaff? And, and, and Andrew, yeah. Who, who built it, Angus Brayshaw's brother, and well, is now. Yeah. Well, I don't feel so sorry for him, but I do feel sorry. He for didn't me. even go to the Eagles function last night. Him nor he should. Probably a good idea. Anyway, um, so he, um, I think, I think the Eagles. Look, it's it's too close to call. Sitting here today, talking to you, I'm going to tip Collingwood, but okay. that could change by Friday when I see the team. Well, sitting here talking to you today, and and Jane Bunn said on the news last night it's going to be 13 degrees, and she's always right. So I'm going for Collingwood. I think you know the two stories are, are great, and we won't delve too much into this, but. Nathan Buckley played for all those years. He didn't go to North Melbourne because he said he wanted to play finals. And our friend Dennis Pagan used to see him at the Brownlow and mutter, 21-1, son, 21-1, because at that point Collingwood had played in one final. And North Melbourne Where played is Dennis? Remember we used, to go, we used to go to the races with Dennis? Well, Dennis Dennis was a prophet of doom for the Tigers last week. He said, I just think that they've had too much success. I don't know if the players, they need – there was a lot of reasons why he felt they hadn't mentally got ahead of themselves. They weren't up themselves, but they needed to be more challenged and it mm. could come and hurt them. So he was proven right. And he was also the one who pleaded, pleaded with the Carlton Football Club to recruit Kane Lambert and many clubs because he was playing for the Northern Blues or what they're, they're now, I think they're still called the Northern Blues anyway, the VFL team and Richmond took him. So Dennis oh, is, I see. And, he, and he finished third in a premiership year for the Tigers last year. But Nathan Buckley did end up playing in grand finals. He won a Norm Smith medal, but he never became a premiership player. The closest he's come to a premiership really was an assistant coach under Mick Malthouse who didn't really want him there, who couldn't really deal with a succession plan and I, the, the thing that I remember of all the interviews and talks I've had with Nathan Buckley over the years, because in the end, he's just, he is a terrific bloke. 
And people used to say when he was younger that he was a bit aloof and maybe a bit up himself, but he had an amazing journeyman life as a young footballer. I always thought he was a very focused young player. Yeah, and a very intelligent man and somebody who is just is just so what you see is what you get. And I remember him saying to me late in his career that he'd learned to celebrate the journey. He'd come to terms with the fact that his football journey, and I think if you look at him over 12 years or maybe even longer at Collingwood, I don't think he ever had a dud year. He was always... Carol, what's been the turning point, though, for him as a coach, do you reckon? Oh, I think the fact that he now has a settled and happy football department who aren't on one-year contracts and feeling stressed and insecure like they were, he has grown into himself. The game plan is com- the game plan with new assistant coaches, led I think by guys like Justin Longmuir and Gary Budahocking, who've come into the club. I mean, I'm not sure that they've designed this game plan, but the- everything's been simplified. The players now, to a man, love him. And early on, there was divisive division over the Malthouse camp and the Buckley camp, and there was definite divisions. A lot of the bad eggs have been traded, have gone and retired. Not bad eggs, but the you know the sort of the party boys. There were always going to be party boys. I mean, one of their players was you know is now out because he tested positive to an illicit substance that it was still there on match day. So, you know, they've still got problems like every club has. But I think he has just become himself. And yeah. it's so like it, it is so, and it's the beard is so symbolic. I mean, it, the beard means nothing really, but there's something about the fact that he is now at peace yeah, with himself free, the freedom and his of life. It, yeah. And and he's obviously a great footy person, and anyone needs a good apprenticeship as a coach. And he only had really two years under Mick Malthouse, who never really mentored him during those years, just really shut him out to a degree. And I'm I'm not blaming either of them. It was just a bad plan. But isn't it interesting that he and James heard? Brownlow medalists, you know, same vintage, and uh, both were went back to their mother club. Michael Voss, yes, to coach, exactly and the, the other thing. two have, you know, the other two were where are they? And there's Nathan Buckley, who's kind of risen above the pack and gone on to be a good, really good coach. Well, Collingwood stuck by him when everyone thought a lot of the senior journo's at the age thought that he should go last year. I really felt that he'd never been given a clear run at it and he needed another chance. And look, up, it's just unbelievable what he's done. There are so many great stories out of that. that. And also Adam Simpson, the North Melbourne captain, who also is a premiership player, is a premiership player, was a great player, from early on wanted to be a coach and got involved. Do you remember Chicken Gate? Do you remember the frozen chicken that yeah, North Melbourne did a little film about? And Sam Lane broke they the story. Le- for they the were age. leaving chick- frozen chickens on in well, different places. It was one or... particular chicken, and it was there was sort of lewd acts with other frozen chickens. It was all very grubby, and there was a lot of trouble about it. Adam Simpson was captured at the time, devastated, angry at the reporting. I felt a few people I felt wrongly targeted angry at the, the journal. reporting over Chicken Gate. Well, it was a, it was a big story at the time, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it was funny. One journal who worked for the Age was going Honestly, to was going to pass. Sometimes it. we take footy too seriously. One journal <laughs> at the Age who shall remain nameless, not me, was going to pass it on to our dear late great departed Jeff McClure as a column par. But once Sam found out about it, she made, it was it became a big issue. Anyway, he was worried that was going to affect his chances as a coach. He went to Hawthorne like so many others worked under. I just wouldn't want to be the Clarkson. journalist who receives the media award for breaking the chicken case. <laughs> The chicken had a name. Anyway, I don't know why. He'll... Caroline Wilson, best reporter for Chicken Gate. If Adam Simpson ever listens to this, he'll be going, why would you bring that up when I have – anyway, he's gone to West Coast. Every year bar one, they've made finals. Like Collingwood, nobody thought they'd make finals this year. Even he hinted this was more of a rebuilding, re sort of 
well, not rebuilding, but a renovating year. I think it was a bit of a ruse. I think, you know, he knew oh, he had a great team. You know what? Renovating my ass, really, Caro. That that team from the start of the year, they have looked fit, strong, able, fast. They just had to get their game plan together. But West the, Coast have looked fantastic all year. Well, if the two-man forward line stands up, now the, the big thing will be if Collingwood win, the MCG argument will happen again because West Coast finished above Collingwood and, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that rule should have changed and the final should be played over in that unbelievable new cauldron in Perth, their new ground, Domain Stadium. But that's not going to happen now until we'll be dead by the time the MCG deal expires, which is in the mid-2050s. Oh, I'll be alive then. I don't know about you. Well... If you keep getting, oh, if you keep getting home so late from the Brownlow, you'll that, be dead. That's, that's true. For sure. No, we'll only be ninety. I'll be ninety in twenty. Yeah, I'll be eighty-nine. Yeah, so that's all right. Yeah, we'll be around anyway. So, it, um, it's 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 not quite the romantic grand final that some people had hoped for. I mean, Melbourne would no, have been would have been good for business, as I said last week. Yes. Now, Corey, let's just move on to the polit. The, it, I don't think there's any worse job in the country in the country than being the boss of the ABC, as Michelle Guthrie has found out. Maybe it was her own fault, but she was sacked earlier this week. And the fallout to this story is so, I mean, there's so many different strands to this story, but give us your take on it. Okay. So first thing, the beloved Laura Tingle, who is my journalistic pin-up girl on Late Night Live the other night, said when Philip Adams said it was the government behind this, Laura Tingle says absolutely not her sources, and I believe her. Um, she said this is not a government decision. There was no pressure from Canberra. It has just become a non-meeting of the minds between the board and the managing director. And so then I did a little bit of research yesterday, which is unusual for me, Caro, to do that for the, for the I for was doing podcast. a lot of it at the Brownlow. I was bailing up government ministers. I did. And... I, get on, I got onto my ABC, Friends of ABC gang, and also I spoke to Ranald McDonald, and it does seem that there is a pretty consistent view of what has happened here. Um, Michelle, of course, came from Google and had also worked with Rupert Murdoch's Empire. Um, there's a sense that um, she had she the job the job itself is the problem, Caro. It's too big a job because there are so many things you have to do. You have to deal with Canberra. You have to deal with unions. You have to prepare and perform at those silly no no not silly I'm not saying that take that back Senate Estimates Committee time consuming Senate Estimates Committee. You have to oversee. I'm glad you revised that comment, yeah, Corey. Um, Kevin from Geelong is listening. <laughs> no, hi, Kev. Um, no, I don't mean silly at all because it's actually a great way for uh, for public institutions to be accountable. So, but the they're board, but they're very time the consuming. Board, how, how ABC do, but you've also got to oversee and develop content. And not only do you have to develop that content, you then have to defend it in many cases particularly in a political framework. So you've got to be a lot of things to a lot of people. So the idea is that the board probably what it has to do is, is review this managing director's role. Maybe you carve it up two or three different people who do parts of those, those jobs. But for one person who's been thrown into the ABC and never had that culture behind her, uh, pretty impossible. But if you're a big-time CEO, Corrie, you have good lieutenants around you. Correct, and I'm not sure that that actually happened. Well, she, she did and she didn't. they didn't like her. The journos and the commentators didn't like her. She didn't stick up for Emma Alberici. Her leadership style was uh, the government didn't apparently like her. appalling. And there was an who, AB- who did like her? There was an ABC survey recently that showed only 18% of the staff respected their top executives. What about the comments by people like Sally Neighbour and John Fain? Oh. Philip Adams, who said for a year she walked past him in the corridors and never said hello. <laughs> 
And, I, and look, I'm, I hate to say this, and I say this And John to... Fain said um, she would not take on her role as a champion for this organisation. It's an astonishing failing on her part, which is pretty damning. She did cancel Dr Harry, which, as you know, I wasn't happy about at the time. Mm. Um, I thought the change – I'm not a Red Simons fan on Breakfast Radio, but to put those two young people up in that job in Melbourne on 774 has been a ratings debacle. I know that these are all micromanagement decisions, but they are major decisions. The ABC was trying to skew younger. They were going digital. I understand all of that. But what I – and I say this to football coaches and CEOs alike and anyone in any senior job – you can't be living in two cities. And when you've got a husband who's based in Singapore running a big-time restaurant, as she was, and continuing to go back and forward from Singapore, so you're not present in, in, present in the office all the time. This was a situation with Stephen Trigg, the Carlton CEO. His family stayed in Adelaide. Now, I know Melbourne and Adelaide are not that far apart, but how can you really buy into an organisation? Like, that is such a big job. Leaving Huge. the country at any given time is just not going to work. Well, I don't know whether it was Meg Simons or one media commentator yesterday uh, had the anecdote that after one of the Senate Estimates Committee in Canberra, she had booked her plane flight an hour and a half after it ended. Now, in the old Mark Scott days, he'd be having drinks and so on in the non-members lounge with parliamentarians and, you know, really kind of working up the storm. It's bad for the ABC, Caro. This is just, you know, not what they need at the moment. But anyway, hopefully they can make the next appointment with care and consideration. On now to Crush of the Week. And, Caro, I think you have a crush, but before you do, I would just like to thank our supporters of this lovely segment, which has become a real favourite with our potties. Thank you to the Interchange Bench. Recruit the best staff with the Interchange Bench. If your business needs new players, pick them up from the Interchange Bench, the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. Just go to interchangebench.com.au for talents so good you'd wish you could keep them. Now, Corrie... Don't get cross. I love that. I wish you could keep them. Yeah, and, and thank you to the Interchange Bench. Um, yeah, Interchangebench.com.au, as you said. It's going to be my last opportunity, all right, so give me oh, one. Oh, my goodness. Look, Jack this is a rich person. Oh. Jack Higgins is a young man who did not do VCE, who quit school and hired a personal trainer and a footy trainer to make himself a better footballer. He won goal of the year at the Brownlow on Monday night, Corrie. And I was at the game against Collingwood, a happier occasion against Collingwood at the end of the home and away season when people argued for a week about whether it was a throw or a goal or a miracle goal or not even a goal at all. But It was, it was a goal, Cara. Tell me about it. I was there. He got up on stage at the Brownlow. Jack Revolt presented him with the award and he said, my heart is beating at 100 minutes per second. <laughs> And um, one person in my family said he really should go back to school. I said, no, he shouldn't. Um, I think um, it was Brendan Gale who um, delivered the line after he kicked the goal. They don't teach you that in VCE. He has been a breath of fresh air onto the footy scene. It's not because he's a Richmond player. It is so rare to have a footballer come out and actually speak their mind and say how they really feel and how they love kicking snags. He... He plays like a man, not a boy, even though he's still a teenager. And he is just a wonderful, wonderful new addition to the footy scene. Last year, the mark of the year went to the wrong player. And Jeremy Howe from Collingwood, who thought he'd won it, 
looked so horrified, Corrie, when the camera went to him at the Brownlow medal, and I think he then left. And the Collingwood people all absolutely turned on the AFL and the AFLPA. So they changed the voting this year for goal of the year and mark of the year. The public now get about one-ninth of the vote, not the whole vote. It went to Jack Higgins, and it was a great result. So he is my crush of the week. Well, I'm with you on that. I, I will let you have that one, Caro, and um, I will thank the interchange. My bench. heart is beating. But 100, <laughs> 100 minutes per second. <laughs> And mine is too, every time I think about the interchange bench. But uh, look, I think the interchange bench people would be very happy with your choice there. On to BSF. I want to, no, I want to say oh. something before we get to BSF. BSF is going to be a way for us to announce that you are launching or we are launching a book pod. It's, we are. It's, it's your baby. It's Don't Shoot the Messenger's Baby. Your first guest is going to be Leanne Moriarty, the best-selling Australian author. Ever. I want you to ask her about sibling rivalry when you sit down with Leanne. And we want everyone to put forward suggestions, don't we, about what you should ask We do indeed. We love questions from uh, everybody. And so every couple of weeks we're going to drop this episode. And as you said, Caro, it is a baby of Don't Shoot the Messenger and it is called The Book Pod. And so by the time you receive your Don't Shoot the Messenger today's episode, you will also be able to click on iTunes or whatever device you use for your podcasts, and you will be able to upload and subscribe to the book pod. And the idea basically is that every couple of weeks we have an eminent writer or journalist come into the uh, studio and talk to us about their latest work, but also life in general. There's so many things to talk to Leanne about. What I love about this is that you have now undergone a crash course in Leanne Moriarty. Leanne is how you pronounce it. Leanne, I could have told you a long time ago that she was a very, very... And the reason I want you to ask about sibling rivalry is because she has several siblings, two of whom, Jack and Nick, Jack, Jacqueline and Nicola or Nicole, who are both well-known writers in their own right. But she, of course, has become an international sensation. And you have read her new book, Nine Perfect Strangers. I have. And that's our segue to BSF because that's my book review today. Caro, Nine Perfect Strangers uh, came out last week, as you said, by Leanne Moriarty. And I have to say that I have been riveted to this book over the weekend. Pretty much that and the footy and work was all I did this weekend. And the story is this. There's a 10-day retreat at this really upmarket boutique health and wellness resort called Tranquillium House. And it's somewhere in the New South Wales... um, Hinterland. Hinterland, northern hinterland. And so there are nine very stressed and quite wealthy because you have to be to go to this thing. Nine stressed city dwellers who just want to get rid of their weight, their issues, their drug abuse, their whatever it is, and have 10 days on the path to um, a better life. But, of course, all is not what it seems, Caro. Watching over them is the resort's director, Masha, who has secrets of her own. This is such a good book. And Nicole Kidman has actually bought the rights to it. So I, I'm not sure whether Nicole's going to play one of the guests or, in fact, Masha, the I thought rather Nicole menacing. And, and Reese Witherspoon had brought the rights together. No, not Reese. Um, oh, okay. Nicole's done this with her Sydney colleague who also bought in with um, Big Little Lies. Okay. Uh, but apparently Reese is very supportive. There was word out there, gossips, of course, saying that Reese Reese had furious. a nose out of joint. Yeah, but no. Reese, who should perfectly. have won the Emmy for Big Little Lies because her portrayal of a- Can I just tell you, 
I agree. I mean, I have, as you know, I've just done the full Leanne Moriarty for the past week. And, and you I have, have no watched... credibility where Nicole is concerned because you don't like it. But even I agree. <laughs> I've watched that... all episodes. But well, I did think Nicole's performance, um, particularly uh, in the therapy sessions, was really terrific. But for me, the character that just lived and breathed the character in the book was Reese Witherspoon. Uh, she really held the whole thing together. I think it was such a feat of acting. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Great. so that's the book, Nine Perfect Strangers, thirty two ninety nine at a good bookshop near you. And you have a screen. I do, Corrie, and I'm very... You've been to the movies again. Uh, surprise, surprise. Well, you know, I wasn't really in a... Uh, my no, mother we always and I, know it's the end of the footy season. We always no, My know. mother and I decided that sport was not our thing anymore. It was culture oh. after the weekend. <laughs> but look, Women in Black is just something, Corrie. It is right up your alley. It's a new Australian film. It's By the time people are listening to this, they would have heard about Why? it. Why? Because I bit. always wear black? Or? Because you used to work at George's. Oh, yes, we had The to wonderful wear department store. This is, we're in 1959, Sydney. This is a, a sort of a turning point in the time of Australian culture, fashion. They still are referring to um, Italians and Greeks and Europeans as refos. And this is a story of the group of women, the women in black. It's based on the novel Ladies. By Madeline St. John. By yeah. Madeline St. John. No, sorry, the film is Ladies in Black and the novel is Women, women in, in Black. black yeah. I, I, I'll have to get that the right way around. Bruce Beresford, who funnily enough was a contemporary of Madeline St. John, the wonderful author, um, he he was a contemporary of hers at, Sydney, at university in Sydney. He's back. He has made this film. This is a wonderful cast, um, led by Rachel Taylor, Julia Ormond, who is wonderful. I wondered how she would fit into that role. Does she do it well? She's brilliant. She's brilliant. And a newcomer, well, newcomer for me, Anguri Rice, who is the coming-of-age story is sort of really about her. The the, the fictional department store, a lot of the film, some scenes set on a disused floor of David Jones that has barely been changed since the 50s. They had a day to use this area. Um, The fictional department store is called Goods. There's a lot of different story strands. This was written in the early 1990s. It was, in fact, Madeline St. John's first novel. And it is just, the only thing I would say is it's maybe a bit less biting and less satirical than the novel, Mm. which I also loved. And it is, It's. this is not a spoiler alert, it's pretty much, it's a very happy film. It is a wonderful nostalgic film. The acting is superb. There's apparently a, there is a blooper that I miss where you can see 2017 traffic in a scene from <laughs> the Sydney Botanic Gardens. Continuity. But the, this woman is a fascinating woman. I refer you to Helen Trinker's biography of Madeline St John. She died at the age of 64. She moved to her mother committed suicide when she was 12. Her mother was French. Her father was a lawyer and politician who defended the uh, the first I think Oz trial. Um, defended Richard Walsh. Um, she then re- went to San Francisco with a film director husband. They split up. She moved to London, became a British citizen, became worked at an antique shop two days a week in Kensington and wrote this – her most famous novel, which you I think you've read it, The Essence of the Thing. Mm. She's actually the first Australian woman to have been shortlisted for the Booker Prize because of The Essence of the Thing, which was part of a trilogy. A lot of book clubs do The Essence of the Thing. I, I really like Madeline St. John. I really like this film. And because you were one of those girls at George's, very early in your life, I think you'll enjoy it too. Oh, it's probably going to give me nightmares again <laughs> of, you know, don't lean on the counter. <laughs> Don't lean on the counter, Corey. I'll go back. I'll go back and see it with you. Now I'll quickly whip through the world's 
easiest and most beautiful salad dressing because it's that time of the year. And in the well, end, Corrie... No, it's about 12 degrees in Melbourne. But yes, it will be that time of the year look, soon. we love Otto Lingi and I'm still cooking out of Simple, that wonderful cookbook you put us all on onto. And we love our complicated salads. But this is... This salad will go with anything. It is very simple. The only things you need to go in the salad are butter, lettuce and avocado. But the dressing is the thing. This dressing is just so foolproof. I think it makes far too much dressing. You can keep it for ages and put the herbs in at the time you're going to serve the dressing because they'll go brown, if you know what I mean. Keep the dressing and add the herbs every time you're doing it. A quarter of a cup sugar. It's called tarragon salad dressing with thanks to my great friend Mandy Mandy. Yes, her surname is truly the same (laughs) as her Christian name. Thanks, Caro, Caro. One quarter of a cup sugar, half a bunch chopped chives, one clove crushed garlic, I chop it, 430 very specific mils of virgin olive oil, two tablespoons Dijon mustard, 160 mils tarragon vinegar, one tablespoon lemon juice, a quarter of a bunch of chopped flat leaf parsley or continental parsley and 12 chopped tarragon leaves. That's it. Put it all in together, mix it well, it'll make far too much. So leave the herbs to each time you're going to serve. Butter, lettuce and avocado, yum. Oh, that sounds good. Is that it? That Corrie, a quick one. that makes me happy, but you're grumpy. I'm grumpy, Caro. Passwords, Caro. Had too many of them in my life. Yeah, well, you know. What the hell? So last week we were talking about. You tell everyone to watch a very British scandal. (laughs) A very English scandal. A very English scandal. Everybody. Nobody was more excited than I. And so sit down on Thursday night, ready to watch it in real time. And Pete has done something with our Foxtel subscription. He's downgraded us. So I can't receive BBC2 or whatever it's called, UK TV. I don't know, whatever it was on. So, right, I have four minutes before this show begins. So I'm trying to, you know, get onto the Foxtel to upgrade. Can't remember the password. Pete, what's the password? Can't remember. Is it in your phone? No, is it in mine? We're searching. Like, have one everything. password, Corrie. Just have one password. You can't do this, Caroline. You cannot do I this. I do. I no, have but, now. But I've you done can't, that. You can't because I have one, pretty much one password. But then there are people like the next day I tried to buy tickets to the Melbourne Festival, which is coming up. And I went in, gave all my details. They, they said, "Oh, you." They said, capital. "Oh, you already exist as a person because I bought tickets a couple of years ago." What's your password? Can't remember. So I put in the old password. No, it doesn't work. Tried every combo. Of course, what you need is not only you need eight letters plus, uh, you know, an, an apostrophe or some sort of exclamation mark plus capital letters plus numbers. I mean, who can remember all well, of that? Well, me. That's what Corey I've done. Perkin, Cap C, Cap P. You know, I don't know, 19... No, no that, that'll be weak. 61 you, and then a question mark or something. that's your name. You, yeah, you, and then they tell you that it's weak. You, you put all this effort into coming up with a U-Butte password and the machine tells you, oh, sorry, that's weak. Did oh, you watch well, so a very you. British scandal? No, I have an English scandal. <laughs> and no, how can I? Because we downgraded. You can imagine the wrath, poor Pete. Anyway, it wasn't his fault. Uh, there was a period when ours was downgraded to not include um, BBC <laughs> First. It's the only reason apart from the Marriages break up over felt. this stuff. I know Brendan's going, well, we've got the golf. I'm like, I don't care. Anyway, that's something to be grumpy about. But I advise you now, fix on a password and keep it uniform and oh, you'll be Carol, right. Oh, do you think I'm an idiot? Like I have tried this, but sometimes there are organisations that just don't let you do that. Miss Jane would tell you that you can get apps for password management. Do you oh. know what an app is, Corrie? <laughs> 
don't you start. You don't even know how to download a podcast. Yeah, well, that's true. Six but quick I, questions, Cara. Come on, let's move on. Will Brett Kavanaugh achieve his goal and actually get into the Supreme Court? I have a feeling of not. America. I have a feeling not. I have a feeling that uh, there will be a couple of Republicans who will go with the Democrats. I just have that feeling. I think Christine Blasey Ford uh, is a very credible witness. A second accuser has come out accusing uh, Brett Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct. Uh, it just depends. It's really in the hands of the president. And, of course, he has no clean slate in regards of women's anatomy. But I have a feeling there might be a couple of good guys on the Republican committee who won't want to go there with that. Let's hope, hey? She has to be very careful about how and when she testifies. Caro, Tiger Woods, back in town. And when you see him win a golf tournament, do you think of other matters related to Tiger Woods? Or do you just think about his sporting performance? Look, I'm never going to forget what happened to Tiger Woods because that was one of the great sporting downfalls of all time. And it was it came about because... His litany of affairs and treatment of his wife were exposed that famous night she turned on him with the golf club and attacked the car. What what upsets me is that he – I hope he's a better sport now because there was so much of bad sportsmanship that was covered up by golf riders. I hope he's a better he was, man now, Caro. But, well, yes, but, I mean, that was just something that never came out because, as we've mentioned previously, American golf riders are very sycophantic. But, look – there is no doubt there was a period, for a long period, he was bigger than golf in the way that Muhammad Ali was probably the most famous person in the world at one period during the early 19, mid-1970s. This man has come back against all odds. I mean, the sporting comeback and what he's done with his body is a triumph. It is unbelievable, and I never thought he'd win a big tournament again. Will he reach Jack Nicholas's record? Even Jack says he's happy for him to do it. But it is hard for, I think, many women to forget just how grubby and sordid that whole very unsavoury incident was. Now, Corrie, this is a good call, bad call. <laughs> the BBC's decision not to televise, I mean, this is hysterical, this story, not to televise Princess Eugenie's wedding. Good call, bad call. Good call, Cara. <laughs> it's costing a lot of money, isn't money it? Money because I'm scared of what she's going to wear. Okay, Princess Eugenie the daughter, youngest daughter of uh, Sarah Ferguson and Prince Andrew, is marrying Jack Brooksbank on October 12. And apparently Prince Andrew approached the BBC asking them would they be airing the royal wedding and the BBC bosses rejected the idea because they don't think enough people will be watching it. Andrew apparently is incensed and has now stormed off to ITV to see if they're interested. But so far, we haven't heard. <laughs> is, there, is there a word? We know Euro trash. Is there a word for British no. royal trash? Oh, no. She's not royal trash. But no, it's just, do, like, do we really care? And It's so B-grade, Corrie. It's B-grade. I mean, after what happened earlier this year, you can't, you can't follow up but on don't that. But you, don't you love royal journos in London? They are hilarious. Like, the Mail on Sunday has, has this, you know, insider. So it's known as the insider said. And the insider said... Um, Nobody wants to take the risk and spend the money it would cost to pull on air, one insider said. And um, and Sky, apparently Sky News is also planning to show nothing more than the short clips from the marriage. Um, but They some... probably invited Elton on purpose just so that my... <laughs> we and could then... see his rather snooty face. <laughs> but, I, when... but I love this also, the insider. The feeling at the palace is that the BBC has dropped the ball. At the end of the day, this is going to be huge, a royal wedding with all the senior members of the royal family in attendance, but nobody wants to take the risk and spend the money, the insider added. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's not like she's ever going to get anywhere near, anywhere near the throne. No, look, I think that's a good call too. I agree with you. Um, Caro, do you bail up people who don't pick up after their dog? 
I assume you mean droppings. Only this morning, Corrie, I, for the first time, it was, it's amazing. We thought up a few well, it questions like the you're other day. A grumpy old woman. Here. No, no, no. But it's happened to me. I've been bailed up because I, when I didn't notice, because sometimes you're too busy chatting at the park, or you know, something, someone, will or you, tap you or on you the run shoulder. out of bags and you just secretly pretend it hasn't yes, happened. Yes, and we've both said to each other, "We'll go back," and we usually do. And and look, no, look, it's just that it is so annoying when you see people's dog droppings lying around your local park. So I've decided now I'm going to be a good citizen and I'm going to bail people up. And this morning. A very nice young couple. I don't think they noticed what had happened, but I made sure they did. And then they looked at each other and said, shit, that was Caroline Wilson from... I swear on the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> from they don't said... Don't shoot the messenger no, telling they, us to pick up No, they didn't say that. They said, we, we don't have a bag. And I said, see that over there, those little black bags on that stand? And that, we, we've just lost two potties. You might learn something. They're going, she's really mean. What is your favourite Instagram account, Corrie? My favourite Instagram account at the moment is uh, Father of Daughters, Caro. So this is the father of four little girls. Um, he is an English chap. And his name is here somewhere. Simon Hooper is his name. And it started because he decided that instead of – he found his twin 16-month-old daughters rifling through the bathroom bin (laughs) – a couple, and he decided, and they were just go. So they were sucking old toothpaste tubes, and they were grabbing fistfuls of hair that had come off a brush, and tissues, and tampon boxes, and everything. And he thought he would just video the scene and put this domestic chaos on an Instagram account and started it up. Minutes later, he had thirty thousand six hundred and four people who had just worked themselves into a frenzy, sending off messages going, "How adorable!" and "This is how, this is our suggestion for looking after twins," and "We suggest that you don't have the rubbish bin on the floor." And it's all, so this thing's gone nuts. He now has nearly nine hundred thousand followers and growing. So I think it's a very joyful. He and his wife Clemmy are bringing up these four girls: Anya, Marnie, Ottilie, and Delilah. And they're aged between 16 months and nine, and they are hilarious, and the Instagram count is hilarious. So if you think you're having trouble with your toddlers at home, just go on to Fathers <laughs> of Daughters. It's I, really cute. I should mention our friend Bernie Barmer, Bernie the attorney, who is the, um, among other things. Oh, yes, a, didn't he have three daughters with three babies in one week or yeah, something? Yeah, he's got four daughters. Four three daughters. of them got pregnant last year. All three, in fact, earlier this year, all three in the period of six days gave birth to boys. Yes, and I heard they were, all three sisters were in the same hospital boy, ward. What fun boy, is that? Boy, Imagine yes. the fun. Unbelievable. Now, Corrie, we're going to close with me giving you a good local tip. I need one, Carol. I was so tempted on Sunday. I had a few hours off. I was so tempted. I got this beautiful new planter box in my garden. I wanted to plant basil, but then I remembered our friend Jenny Smith. And I remembered her spring planting guide and her planting guide in, in general that revolves around public holidays. Don't we put basil in with tomatoes on Cup Day? Caulfield Cup Day. Oh, Caulfield Cup Day. Never plant basil before Caulfield Cup Day. It was so – you know how they just – you put them in at the right time and within a month they're smiling at you in big clumps. Unless the snails have come along and had a feast. Oh, no, I always put in a bit of snail killer. Oh, that's good Make for the dog. Keep the dog inside no, one to your dog days. <laughs> never looks well. Excuse me, she's nearly 15 and – well, I think he looks a bit better than certain other people's dogs, but anyway. I'll give, I'll give you that one, um, Carol. <laughs> I, so don't plant your basil yet. It's really tempting. Wait until Caulfield Cup Day. If you can wait another few weeks, it's even better. Thank you, Jenny. And while I'm at it, orchids. It's now time to start feeding your orchids. Jenny told me once, don't feed them at all during winter. You first feed them on show day. That is the Royal Melbourne Show Day, which is coming up in a few days. 
Feed your orchids from show day to Anzac Day. Oh, righto. And that way And that's have... the gardening hour from Caroline Wilson. <laughs> well, I just think it's a good time to remind people of all of that. I'm it's sorry, I'm sorry you're not going, your team's not going to the big dance on Saturday, Caro, and I'm sorry that you and I both received Zippo with our footy tips last week, but I do hope you have a lovely grand final week. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you with Leanne Moriarty for the first book pod. I'm looking forward to hearing you with Anna from the Op Shop. I'm um, doing an interview with the girls from the Outer Sanctum this week and they said they wanted Anna from the Op Shop in their lives. Anyway, Hands you off, and, she's ours. You and Anna and Jeff Slattery are going because, to be talking and why, everything and next why, week. And why would we be doing that next week? And not I'm having can... a short break, Corey. Oh. <laughs> well, I haven't been away since June and that was for two and a half weeks. Brendan and I are having a short break. Thank you very much. We're heading over to New Zealand, where to a place I've never been, Queenstown. Another overseas trip. Oh, I mean, New Zealand's hardly overseas. Anyway, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you to the Interchange we'll Bench for sponsoring the show. We'll just be here The Interchange Me Bench. Me and the Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench is specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting. If you go on any more, Corrie, I'll be getting the Interchange Bench to find a replacement for you. Visit interchangebench.com.au. We love getting your comments, your tips, your recommendations via the Facebook page, Twitter, and, of course, the Caro and Corrie Instagram account. Or email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. But don't email Caro because she won't be here next week. She's on holiday. I'll be reading my emails. Feel free to leave, and I'll come back with great Queenstown tips. Feel free to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Jane Louise Brearley for this one on Facebook, where she mentioned how much she loves the repartee. She loves BSF. She's currently enjoying the Children's Act. Always see the film or show reviewed, and she always tries the recipes. Oh, what a lovely listener. Thank you, Jane. And ticking, even all, Ticking all the boxes. I and, bet she's listening next and week. And Scout I bet she's Labrador, in, Scout Labrador, next week. who um, reviewed us on iTunes, hates sport, but loves the inf- insightful and interesting take on sport life and so many things about Melbourne. Thank you, Scout. Thank you, Corrie. Good luck with Leanne Moriarty. And remember... Don't shoot the messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by The Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class temporary and contract talent. So when you need to get your team back in the game, call on The Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to office support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Interchangebench.com.au For talent so good, you'd wish you can keep them.